<laughs> Thank you, choir. It's true, our Lord reigns, and all the earth will worship him someday. I think we've already had this sermon, I feel like. I feel like this is a, an afterthought. Uh, I think the, the witness that we saw in baptism and, and Dewey's prayer, glory be to God. Uh, but we're not ready to go home yet, I hope, because there is uh, a word that I think we need to hear as well about what the choir just sang, about worship and how our Lord reigns and how all the earth will one day bow before him and say, he is Lord. Until that time, we have a job, though, don't we? We're beginning a series on the book of Psalms today called A Prescription for Praise. And we're going to be looking at how worship is God's prescription for many problems in the world. Worship is the answer for, for why we do things like missions. Worship ties all these things together, and it's what God has given us as a prescription for what ails our world today. So this series that we're doing is based on the Psalms that we've read for this week through our Bible reading plan. If you're not doing our Bible reading plan with us, I invite you to pick up a, a schedule at one of the welcome centers and to join us on that journey. And when I first started here as interim pastor, even before that, when I was just kind of doing some pulpit supply stuff last summer here at Woodmont, I, I just was preaching through some Psalms. And I picked the Psalm, just that whatever was the Psalm for that week's reading from the, the common lectionary. You know what the lectionary is? The lectionary is this schedule of readings that a lot of liturgical churches use to have a schedule for reading. We have our own lectionary since we're doing our own Bible reading plan this year, but I just picked whatever psalm was there. Now, I remember I told you guys, I think this was maybe in August of last year, that I love the psalms. And I think most of us don't spend enough time in the psalms. The psalms are this incredibly rich and vibrant book of Holy Scripture, and I think a lot of us tend to shy away from psalms, but they are these complex, beautiful songs that were used as the hymn book for ancient Israel. They're words of poetry that are meant to be used in corporate worship. They're meant to be sung together, voices lifted in unison. And I'm a big music guy. I love music. I grew up playing in garage bands, playing guitar and piano, and I, I, you know, I can fake it on guitar and piano. I'm not that, that great, uh, pretty mediocre, but I love to play, and I love to listen to all kinds of music, and I love singer-songwriters that, that craft these heartbreaking, beautiful songs that can really just grab a hold of you and change the way you see things. A good song can move you to tears, right? A good song can absolutely change your perspective on something, or, or stay in your head. A good melody stays in your soul over time, I think. It, it stirs up our emotions and our, it challenges our beliefs sometimes. A good song. And I think the Psalms are evidence that our God is also a big music lover as well. He graciously gives us this wealth, this treasury of songs that are, are moving. And, and some of them are so raw and honest, just like a good singer-songwriter. There's one psalm that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The songwriter cries out in an honest rage. You ever been there? You felt like crying out to God in an honest rage? The songwriter has. So also has our Lord Jesus, who was quoting one of his favorite songs when he was on the cross. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That song had stayed with him since he was a little boy. And he was merely reciting Psalm 22. 
Why does God include a songbook in his holy word? Why does he give us this written revelation including songs? Well, the, the simple answer is because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. Because he loves us, he wants us to flourish and to thrive, right? To experience the, the deep and abiding sense of peace and prosperity that comes from walking in his ways in a relationship with the Holy God through Jesus Christ our Lord and the Holy Spirit who indwells us. But he doesn't want us to just thrive so that we can be comfortable or live a, a good life or experience you know, joy now and just the present. God's got a bigger goal in mind for wanting us to flourish. God has a plan and our flourishing is merely a part of that big plan. We don't have time to get into it, but in, in order to understand what's happening here with worship, we need to go back to the beginning. Ever since the fall of creation, when Adam and Eve sinned for the very first time and plunged what which once was a perfectly good and sacred world into death and into darkness and into destruction and into decay, things that the world had never known before sin entered them. Ever since that time, God's been about the work of redeeming it of bringing it all back to himself. Look at Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. It says that God has been making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is God's plan? It's to bring it all back. God's mission, his plan, his purpose, is to restore this fallen world, this fallen creation, to restore it, to renew it, to redeem it, to recreate it, and to reconcile what once was lost back to its proper place, which is united in harmony with the high and holy triune God of the universe. So how is he doing that? Well, through Jesus Christ, primarily. The most drastic and, and powerful act of all time that split history into before Christ and everything else was the arrival of God in the flesh here among us on earth. But the Bible also says there's another key part of this plan. Yes, Jesus is the center of the plan to redeem everything, but the, the Bible says that Jesus is the groom at the wedding at the end of all things. If he's the groom, then there must be a bride as well. That's where you and me come in. We have a part to play in this rescue mission of God. You see, way back in Genesis 12, right after the Tower of Babel, God said, you know how I'm going to do this? How I'm going to restore the world? I'm going to send my son, yes, eventually, but I'm going to make a bride for him. And that bride will be a special people. A people who are called by my own name. A people for my own possession. A, a family that will be set apart from the rest of the world in order to fulfill my purposes for the creation. Way back in Genesis 12, he starts this whole family with one guy. His name is Abraham. Look at Genesis 12, 1-3. It'll be on the screen. The Lord said to Abram, his name hadn't changed yet, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, your whole identity, leave it, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, 
I will help you flourish and thrive and make your name great. Does it end there? Is that it? No. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And eventually, in you, in you, Abraham, and your descendants, this holy family, I will bless all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's how I'm going to carry out this rescue mission. God's plan is now to make this great nation out of Abraham's descendants and to bless them. Again, this is not for their own comfort. This is not for their own sake that he's doing this. It's to fulfill his purposes for his plan. To bless the world through the family of God. The the family of God should be the conduit of God's blessing to a world that desperately needs it, right? So we call this mission of caring to the world, we call this, in our most churches, we, we call this missions, right? This is mission. This is mission work. This is what it means to do missions. We just finished a series in the book of Acts looking at how the church, the, the family of God now, spread the gospel around the world through missionary trips, through missionary journeys, through planting churches, through discipling all people in the ways of Jesus Christ. So that's what missions does, right? Our psalm for today is a song about worship and mission. It's a song about how God blesses us as his children so that we can allow God's blessing to flow through us and into the rest of the fallen creation that he wants to redeem. So let's stand this morning. I know you've kind of done stand and sit down, but let's stand this morning one more time as we read this beautiful psalm together. Psalm 67, the word of the Lord. May God be gracious to us. Verse 1, and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. By the way, no one knows what Selah means. It's a musical term, probably, but uh, if someone says, oh, it means pause, some people think that, but scholars don't agree on what it means. It, we just know it's a, a musical term. If it, if it meant pause, our Bibles would say pause there instead of Selah, right? All right, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You can have a seat. Isn't that a great song? Don't you see where Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is all over this? There's a current of this Abrahamic call to be a blessing all throughout this song. It starts out, may God be gracious to us. May he give us undeserved favor, unmerited blessing. May he gaze lovingly on us. You know, that's a, that's a, a form of the Aaronic priesthood Levitical blessing from uh, back in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was the prayer that Aaron prayed over the priest, his sons, as he ordained them to the priesthood. Why are we praying this then? Because 
we as God's people are more than just mere, mere ambassadors. Yes, we do carry a message to the world, but, but more than that, according to the Bible in Exodus 19, we are a kingdom of priests. You're all priests. Don't go out and buy a clerical collar and start throwing holy water on people, but you're a priest according to scriptures. We have the ability to relate to God personally through Jesus Christ our Lord without any go-between, any human go-between. Jesus Christ is sufficient so that you and I can have direct access to God the Father and approach the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence. The Baptist tradition is big on this. The, the priesthood of the believers. As a baptized believer in Christ, Jude, you now have the ability to, he's not listening. <laughs> Jude, you now have the ability to relate to God as a priest, right? You're a priest now who doesn't need a go-between. Any, I don't have to do that for you. You can do it for yourself now. Glad you're paying attention. <laughs> then the song moves from this idea of being priest to a missional component. Bless us, O God, so that your ways would be known on all the earth. So that your, your saving power of, of the gospel would be known among all the nations. That's exactly what God said would happen in Genesis 12.3. Through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When we do this, when we do missions well, when we carry the saving message of the gospel to the rest of the world, we are fulfilling our purpose. We're fulfilling this calling here to, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. We're fulfilling our, our, our calling as God's holy family and our eventual destiny as well. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 3 is the key here, though. It's repeated again in verse 5, exactly, word for word. Let all the peoples of the earth praise you. God, please allow all the people who are lost in, in darkness God, let the people of, of North Korea, may they see revival and know Jesus Christ as Lord. There's a heart for the nations here. Rachel talked in her testimony about how David Platt at, at, the, at her church in Birmingham cultivated this fire in her for the nations where she felt compelled to go to Madagascar for two years and serve a missionary family there so that God's kingdom could advance across the globe. This is our purpose, right? This is what Genesis 12 is all about. And then let, let these people not only just know you, but let them then give you praise. Let them worship you in joy. Let them give their lives to you in praise as a response to the gospel. Let them experience the joy, the, the fulfillment, the, the total freedom that comes in worshiping you in rightly ordering their lives with you, oh God, right at the blazing center of all that they are and all that they do, then they will be glad. Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You know, when I, when I read this psalm the first time in preparing for this sermon, of course, the, the first thing that came to my, my brain was, is now a classic of uh, evangelical literature. It's a book by John Piper called let the nations be glad. And, and that book rocked my world when I was in college and read it for the first time. I've read it a couple times since then, and it continues to challenge me. It really is a, a great book, and I'm not going to do it justice here, so I encourage you to go out and get your own copy. But let me read you the opening lines that are now famous in the evangelical world. Here's the opening lines. Piper doesn't waste words or beat around the bush. Here's how he starts the book. Very first word. 
Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is both the fuel and the goal of missions. Isn't that good? Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. Worship exists, I mean, missions exist because worship doesn't. It's so true. It really opened my eyes to a lot when I was a young, younger man. <laughs> worship is the goal. Bringing as much glory as possible to God should be the ultimate goal of the church and ultimately our own personal goals for our lives as well. What can we do to bring more glory to God, to elevate his name and renown among the world and among the nations? The Westminster Catechism, the, the famous teaching that, that the, the Presbyterian Church has created to teach children, says in its first point, what's the chief end of man? It says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. It's, it's what we were made to do. It's how we thrive. It's how we flourish by bringing glory to God. That's our purpose. That's when we feel the most fulfilled and satisfied. We're created for worship. That's what worship is, is all about, bringing glory to God. This means that missions isn't about getting as many people saved as possible, right? The point of missions is now about engendering worship in dark places where worship wasn't currently existing. Does that make sense? Missions is about engendering praise of God in places where praise of God is not happening. It's about seeing the nations rejoice in the hope of the gospel, in the absolute beauty and truth and freedom that comes through knowing Christ as Lord and knowing that God who created the universe cares so deeply for people and for his creation that he sent his own son to pay the price to rescue them, to rescue his creation and to make people a part of his special family. We could talk about that idea for, for years and never exhaust it, but let's keep going. Like I said, verse 5 is the same as verse 3. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. This is a huge and bold and daring thing for a Jewish person to pray, right? Back in, in these days, the Jews were the special people of God only, and the Gentiles were those outside the covenant, outside the promises of God. Last week, we talked about how when Paul said the word Gentiles, up until that point, everyone was listening and tracking, but as soon as he dropped that word Gentiles, everything all you know, broke loose. They mobbed him and said, he shouldn't be allowed to live on the face of the earth. He should be wiped away for saying Gentiles should be a part of the family of God. Who does he think he is? And then again, when he's before King Agrippa and, and, and Festus, and he says the word Gentiles. As soon as he says Gentiles, Festus says, whoa, Paul, you're insane. Your great learning has made you crazy. You got you to chill out with the Gentile talk. But our God is not the God of a little group of people. He's the God of the universe. We read last week, Isaiah 49, verse 6, where God tells his servant, the Messiah, he says, it's too light a thing that you should just be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. 
I will make you as a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. He's saying it's too easy, Jesus, for you just to be the savior of a tiny group of people. I'm going to make you as a light for all the darkness in the world. That will bring more glory to God. The verse 6 in the Psalm 67 says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. It's a reference to the harvest. The, the earth has provided for us, not because if, if the earth is providing for you, then it's your God, right? It's because God has made the earth to provide for us. God has provided for us. I have atheist friends who, who give thanks to the universe for their stuff. And I'm, I'm saying, you're not an atheist. You have a God. It's the universe. You worship the universe. That's your God. You should make a flag or something to, you know, get together and have universe worship parties. But that's something else. It's true that God provides for us time and time again. He takes care of us as his special family. And he'll do it again. Just like he blessed our ancestor Abraham, so will he bless us Abraham, who by faith believed that God would do what he said he would do and therefore left his father's household and his kindred and all those things behind in order to play his part in God's redemptive story. If he did that for Abraham, surely he will do it for us as well. God's always faithful. We can trust him to do what he says he'll do. The next verse affirms that truth. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. All the ends of the earth Again, this is clearly a song of mission, right? You see the missional component. Why is it so important that all the earth should, should know Christ? Why is it important to cultivate that fire like Rachel was talking about for the nations? Why should we all have a burning desire to see the world come to know Christ? Well, Piper puts it this way in his book. He's, he says when the Bible says things like, let all the ends of the earth fear him, it's saying that there is something about God that is so universally praiseworthy and so profoundly beautiful and so comprehensively worthy and so deeply satisfying that God will find passionate admirers in every diverse people group in the world. His true greatness will be manifest in the breadth of the diversity of those who perceive and cherish his beauty. Worship is about perceiving and then cherishing the beauty of God. Seeing and then responding. That's what worship's all about. He says his excellence, God's excellence, will be shown to be higher and deeper than the parochial preferences that make us happy most of the time. Ouch. His appeal will be to the deepest, highest, largest capacities of the human soul. Thus, the diversity of the source of admiration will testify to his incomparable glory. There's a theme in Scripture that God is, is far more exalted, far more glorified when all different types of, of humans that he created in his image all worship him together. And that theme all throughout Scripture culminates in Revelation Chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. After this I looked, John sees a vision of heaven at the end of all things. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, 
clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is where we are headed. Missions will cease, but worship will endure. Worship of the Lamb will go on for eternity with every nation, every tribe, and every tongue gathered around the throne. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it all starts with this key point. It all starts with loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. That's got to be the foundation for worship. That's got to be the core is to perceive and cherish God's beauty. Do you perceive and cherish God's beauty today? Do the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace? Well, some of you may need to wrestle honestly with that question today because our hearts are idol factories, right? They just churn out idols one after the other, John Calvin says. And if God is not the ultimate source of joy and delight and satisfaction in our lives, then we're living in error. We're living wrongly. Maybe today you need to honestly ask God to help you love him more and to keep him in his proper place as number one in your life, at the center of all you are and all you do. We will live then, if we do that, we will want to share the joy and the freedom of Christ with the rest of the world. We will want to tell others the good news that we have found as the ultimate source of joy in our lives. We will then live, as Piper says, to make others glad in God, to find their life's purpose and meaning in the one who created them for himself. Maybe some of you are here today and you're still fighting the, the deep-seated discomfort or even dislike for those who are Gentiles, those who are on the outside. Maybe you don't have a burning passion for the nations. Maybe the Lord's stirring you this morning to, to, to start caring about the, the world and evangelism. I know that our church has given a lot to missions. We've gone on a lot of mission trips. If maybe the Lord's calling you to be a part of that ministry today. But some of you, maybe even discomfort, maybe really despise people who are on the outside. I pray the Lord would, would change our hearts and give us a heart for people of all nations, tribes, and tongues. I heard a Bible teacher once talk about this passage in Revelation 7 and said, a racist would be miserable in heaven, won't they? <laughs> We're going to be spending eternity with people that don't look like us. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. Maybe we should get a little more comfortable in diverse settings, right? And see God's kingdom advance in Nashville increasingly as the nations are coming here and our town becomes more and more diverse. Maybe we should join in what God's doing in reaching out to the nations. May we all let worship be the fuel that compels us to share good news with others and may we also let it be the goal of why we share the good news, to increase worship of God and bring glory to his name, always anticipating the day when this psalm will be fulfilled wholly and we gather with the saints from all the nations around the throne in worship. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Help us to love you more. 
Help us to perceive and cherish your beauty. Help us to respond to your goodness, your grace, and your glory by living lives of worship, by offering all that we are as living sacrifices in response to all you've done for us. Help us to not consider our lives of anything of merit as precious to ourselves, but to freely and lovingly give them away for your sake. All that we have and all that we are, God, are yours. Help us be at your disposal so that you can use us to be a blessing to the nations. Give us a passion for seeing the, the world come to know you. Give us a passion for seeing the, the ethnoi, the, the Gentiles, the nations become a part of your kingdom and a part of your plan. We know that's where we're headed, God. Forgive us for excluding outsiders. Forgive our hard hearts. Help us to see the nations as you see them. God, we love you. Help us to love you more. We pray this all in your high and holy name. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This time we're going to sing joyful, joyful, Lord, we adore thee. To make ourselves glad and rejoice in what the Lord has done for us. Just as we desire to see the nations be glad and rejoice in what the Lord has done for them as well. If you've never given your life to Christ for the first time, like I, I said in the baptism, this is the perfect time to do it. There's no better time than now. Come and talk to me about it. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Christ as Lord. Just as, as Jude and Joe and John confessed Jesus as Lord, he can also be Lord of your life by freely accepting the gift of grace that he offers you this morning. Maybe you've, you, you, it's time to join the church. You've never become a member of Woodmont. We have a new members and inquirers lunch. I bet there's probably some extra food. I can smell it cooking right now. <laughs> We'd love to see you down there and talk about what it means to join the church. It's for inquirers too. So if you're an inquirer, uh, come talk to us about that or come talk to me now. Or if you're ready to join, today's the day, then come forward. Whatever it is that God's compelling you to do today, maybe your heart is broken for the nations and you just want to come pray for them here at the altar. The altar will be open. Whatever it is that you're going through today, don't leave this place without dealing with God as he wants you to. Let's stand and sing, joyful, joyful. Lord, we adore thee.